everybody, we're here with another Savage Gentleman podcast. I have a special guest, Larry Hagnar of the Dad Edge, also the Dad Edge Alliance. Um, he has his own podcast and into a lot of really cool stuff. And so, Larry, welcome. Um, I'm sure, we got all kinds of cool dad stuff to talk about, and we'll see where this uh, conversation leads us. But happy to have you on. Honored to be here, my friend. And dude, that that beard, that face sweater you got going on there—that is savage. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it really is helpful during the winter time in the summer, you know, it can get a little bit much, but the nice thing is it, a lot of people think they're really hot in the summertime, but fun fact, it actually pulls the moisture. Um, and, and, and helps in like a, like a wicking cooling type type deal. So, you know, you get a nice breeze going through there with the sweat and man, it is, uh, it is, it is quite refreshing. Sounds like an under armor face. Yeah, <laughs> no, it is. Yeah. For sure. Well, you know, I mean, that's kind of the natural state, right? It's, it's yeah. funny because a lot of people look at beards as, you know, that is an extra effort, right? With like the default setting is, is shaven for most of us, right? That's where our minds go. But actually to take a hunk of sharp metal and scrape it on your face is the opposite of kind of the way we were made. Not to, not to say anything against clean shaven. It, it, you know, has its pros and cons. I just, uh, for me personally, having the, the face sweater is a better look, I think. At least well, that's what I feel. It's in line with your brand. You, you have to have well, an Well, there's ethics. that. Yeah. To be a savage gentleman, a face sweater definitely is a good thing to have. You know, it doesn't hurt. I think it does help deliver the message. Um, you know, what's interesting, though, is, is with this idea of savage gentleman, you know, it, we've even had some people like, Hey man, I don't have a crazy beard. So like, am I not part of the club? And it's like, dude, it doesn't matter. Like we don't, we don't care. You know what I mean? What you look like or what you wear or what you do for a job or all that stuff. This idea of savage gentleman is just really about trying to improve in either your savage or gentleman facets uh, to make the best version of yourself. Right. And so beard, no beard, like none of that stuff really matters. I hear you, man. I hear you. So I, as a fellow father, and you've got quite a few little ones running around, uh, maybe even as we speak, <laughs> four, okay, man, hats off. Yeah. Sorry, did you, did you, flash, a, did you flash a five? Is there another one on the way? Oh, just no, four, okay. four boys. Whoa. Which, yeah, which if you – how many kids do you have, Josh? Just two, one boy, just one two. girl. Okay, yeah, one of each. So if you ever want to know what it's like to raise four boys, especially in COVID-19 quarantine – just imagine yourself at a drunk fraternity party where everyone eats your food and never sleeps and pisses all over the place. That's pretty much what it's like. That, that sounds like uh, my college years, actually. Yeah. Quite a bit. We, weren't, we weren't a frat, but at the time, we were a drinking team with a wrestling problem, if that makes sense. Um, and, and, and I imagine that probably paints some kind of a picture um, for that, but... Yeah, I can I can relate to that to some degree. The nice part is when they're actually frat guys or, or wrestling teammates, dudes get out of the hand. You can kind of sort them out. You know what I mean? When they're yay big, you can't quite you know layeth of the hands in the same way you would as the you know the heavyweight on the team. Like you, you that guy can take some abuse, right? And if you need to put it to him, you can. The little ones, you got to be a little bit more tactful. At least I've found. Um, in my experience. 
I find when I body slam like my six year old, it's way different than when I body slam my fourteen year old. So yeah, yeah, I, okay. I try to proceed with with a little caution. I will sure. tell you this though: you got a background in wrestling. I've been doing I've been doing mar- I did wrestling. I did been doing martial arts for a long time, and my boys are at that age. Like so, I've got a fourteen year old, twelve year old, six year old, four year old. My twelve year old and fourteen year old, they're they're starting. They they got some weight on them. My twelve year old in particular, he plays football. So I find now when I like wrestle with him, like play around, like the, the kid's got some, he's got some strength now. Nice. And yeah. So now it's like, man, like, I don't remember like having to like really try to pick <laughs> you up. But now it's like, and then he tosses me around a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to those days, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those, it's nice. Cause you, you need that extra incentive to kind of stay on your toes. I feel like, oh, know, especially yeah. as we, as we get a little bit older, it's easy to let a lot of the stuff, kind of fall by the wayside and, and a lot of it is you know out of lack of necessity right but you know you got that 14 16 year old boy kind of breathing down your neck and still for a while I think it's important that we as fathers can not necessarily put them in their place uh, that's not the right connotation right but but this idea of like they need to know what's up you know what I mean until they really make that step into manhood right and I think we've all been in that situation where maybe we started to get a little big for our britches, you know? Um, sometimes you need dad to knock you down a peg or two. Cause I'd much rather have my old man be the one to do that than a complete stranger somewhere out in the world. I agree. Yeah. I think it's kind of funny to, I, I like the fact of, of teaching my boys like f- physical literacy. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that even comes in the form of just playing around, just wrestling around, right. To be able to teach them and, I mean, there's been studies that actually prove that if you wrestle with your kids, they're going to be faster decision makers. They're going to understand how their body moves. They're going to they're, they're going to be used to the fact that if someone actually does put their hands on them and tries to, you know, push them around, that they're they're used to that push and pull. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of benefits. To it. Plus, it like it's fun. It brings you together, creates a good bond, you know. Some of the most fondest memories growing up is when, I mean, I I did not have like a very stable father figure at Mm. all. There were snippets of time where I did, depending on who my mom was married to. And that's a whole nother story. But um, I do remember fond memories of wrestling with my dad at the time growing up. And I was, it was like one of my favorite things to do. And so to, to do that now, I think it, I think it, there's a ton of benefits out there for that stuff. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I think that, unfortunately, a lot, of, a lot of dads kind of fall on one side or the other, right? And it's either nowhere near physical enough or the other end of the spectrum where it's way too physical, you know, and, and, and violent and abusive, right? And that's not great either. So I, I think as dads, it is important that we, that we try our best. And, and the hard part is, is some guys just aren't very physical individuals. And I think that is something that if that's the case, then maybe work on that because your kids crave that physical attention you know, and, and, and both a, a loving and kind of a, I guess, more aggressive way. And, and again, I, I use the term aggressive and that's not to imply a negative connotation, right? But this idea of wrestling, there is, there is some back and forth with it, right? You know, I mean, it doesn't take a, a huge leap of imagination to understand when we talk about wrestling, what that actually entails. And I think that that's important too. Kids need to feel that physical presence um, and, and feel that resistance. And, and when, I, when I talk about wrestling, that's kind of really the crux of it is that 
resistance where you can't just do exactly what you want. That's an important lesson to learn. That's the best lesson that wrestling teach you is like, Hey, there are going to be times in your life where either physically or just by the circumstances of the world, um, your will is not, is going to be suppressed, right? You're not going to be able to do the thing that you want. Wrestling is being able to overcome that. You are physically overcoming someone who's trying to impose their will upon you. Um, in wrestling, it is a very controlled environment, but sometimes in the world it is not. And so not being prepared for that, I think is a huge misstep um, in the form, both of our per individual development, but also the development of our kids, both our sons and our daughters, honestly. Like I wrestle with my daughter to the same extent as I do with my son. Like it's the, the physicality between the two, there's, there's no real difference. Yeah, agreed, man. So you obviously have a wrestling background yourself. You're like, you, you did you do MMA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been fighting professionally for a little over ten years now. It's, yeah. It's actually, it's been. I just realized yesterday that it's been almost three years since my last fight, and obviously, um, and you can relate to this, right? Having a bunch of kids and running your own business and and doing all those things, it, it starts to shift your focus and your. Um, your priorities. Right? Oh, yeah. And, and I kind of realized, well, I can continue that down this fighting path, which will inevitably come to some conclusion. It has to, you can't fight forever. Right. And at that point, now what, mm. what do I do then to provide for my family? And right. do I, do I bank on, well, you know, maybe I can squirrel enough away from this fighting career to last off of, but that just really didn't seem like a very prudent financial choice, you know? And so starting to pursue these other endeavors and, and standing up Savage Gentleman and running down that road just made a lot more sense. And, and honestly, within the sport, you know, I think I've proved about as much as I feel like I need to. There's still some stuff that it's like, man, it'd be interesting to, to test some things out. But for the most part, I can, I can really express that just through training. You know, if I want to go hard and get the shit kicked out of me, I can just go with one of my buddies who's way better at fighting and just say, hey, man, put it on me today. And then, Okay, box checked. All right, don't need to do that for a little while. So you said you've trained for a while. Have you done any competitions or anything? No, I, I mean, I, I don't do it professionally. I used to do, you know, I, I grew up wrestling. Uh, I did I did a handful of years of Taekwondo. Okay. I did a ha handful of years of Kuksulwan, which is Taekwondo and Hapkido together. <clears throat> did some Jiu-Jitsu and did some Krav Maga. So I, okay. I do, I did, I I competed in tournaments, but there it's nothing like what you do. Right. I mean, well, it's, a, it's, it's like, I, I mean, it, it depends. It depends on the tournaments. I would say, you know, maybe the, the, the Taekwondo is not quite as, um, there's not quite the same carryover, but, but I think just the fact of like a one-on-one -on -one competition, I mean, hell, it could even be a tennis match, right? It doesn't have to be getting kicked in the face. I think putting yourself out there, in front of a crowd of people where only you, where you only have yourself to rely on. I think that is the, the main benefit of the exercise. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the vehicle doesn't matter as much. I think the purest form is cage fighting. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you've, if you've competed in a BJJ tournament, you have some semblance and some understanding, right. Or even just growing up and wrestling in high school, you know what it feels like to step on the mat and, and put it out on the line and then only have yourself to answer for the results. And to me, that's the most important part that, that we as men should, should get a taste of. We don't have to do it every weekend or, you know, 
every month. But if you've never experienced that, I would encourage guys to go down that path and just walk that and see what it looks like. Cause there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of important conversations that you have with yourself that I think there's, that are pretty valuable. No, I agree, man. You, uh, I mean, I think, again, I think it goes back to, I mean, if you're like the average dude like me, right? <clears throat> I just, I've always wanted skills to be able to, God forbid something happen. You got to be able to mm-hmm. protect yourself. You got to be able to protect your family. You got to be able to protect the ones that you love. That's a lesson that I teach my boys growing up. You know, mm-hmm. one, one of the most valuable things that you can learn is is how to defend yourself. You'll, you'll never, that, that skill set will always need to be there. Yeah. The other lesson I teach them too is, you know, I remember growing up, like I said, I, I kind of came from a crazy childhood. That's why I do what I do now. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have that father figure to teach me how to defend myself. And I always remember I was picked on a lot growing up. So I always remember like, gosh, like if I need to defend myself, like what do I even do here? Like, I don't even know. And, and that always, that always created actually more fear and anxiety in me than the actual person who was bullying me. Sure. Cause I'm like, yeah. if I need to throw a punch, like how do I throw a punch? Or if this person grabs me, like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. So I've always told my kids, I'm like, look, you know, at some, you, you got to know how to defend yourself and I'll, we'll, we'll do this together. I'm not going to like just put you in, in classes or we're, you know, I'm going to put you in Krav and not do it with you. Like we'll, we'll do this together. Right. It'll, it'll be a cool bonding thing. And I've always told the kids, I'm like, look, anybody puts their hands on you and you feel threatened, you know, you have, you have my permission to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. If you, and if someone you care about, you got a good friend and someone is just being completely mean and terrible and they're put physically pushing this person around you have my permission to step in and defend that person and there's always a well what if we get in trouble at school i'll deal with that yeah don't even worry about that i i think that's that's super important i mean i think i think kids need to know that one they 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 have the right to defend themselves right that that is you know i think for me i'd say that's that's just an non-negotiable inalienable right right like we are inherently should be able to protect ourselves to the full extent of our ability to do so i think that's super important they need to know that i think they also need to know that when you do that there will be consequences justified or unjustified their you know action reaction right and then and then the third thing is knowing that that okay dad's going to come to bat you know if i am in the right so yes you know, especially in the, in the, the landscape today, you know, in school, it's like, if you get in a fight, it, you know, most places have the zero tolerance policy where it's like, you're done. Doesn't matter who started, who's right, who's wrong, just suspended, whatever. Right. Um, and that is the consequence. However, knowing that and still doing the right thing, I think is a very valuable exercise and having, having someone there that's going to support them and back them in their corner. Right. I think is important as well. And I think that, you know, as parents, it's kind of our job to, to help them navigate those waters and, you know, not bail them out of everything. Cause sometimes they're going to screw up and they're going to need to, to face, um, you know, face, face the consequences of the decisions, you know, the, the helicopter parent where you're just there and you bail them out of everything all the time isn't I, for me, I don't think that's the right approach either. So, you know, we, we've got to use our best judgment and that's, man, I, I wish, I wish our society was set up for that a little bit better where instead of relying on someone else to make all of our decisions for us and, and nope, I don't have to think about it. Okay. This is what we do because 
whoever we put in charge said so. And I'm not going to question that because they're in charge. And, and now I don't have to think about stuff. I think it's important that we look at case by case each scenario and decide, okay, what is the best decision based off the information I have? Um, the, the, just the, the idea of autonomy, right? You know, and I think for, for men, for, for savage gentlemen, for dads, um, that level of autonomy and, and being able to maintain that super important. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the thing we, we have a couple rules in our house and the couple rules are, as I, I already shared one, one with you, which is anybody you feel threatened, you have the right to defend yourself. Somebody you, you care, love is being threatened. You have the right to defend them. Uh, the other rule is, is if I hear you started it, if I hear you used these skills to take advantage of someone, then God help you mm -hmm. because then you've got me to answer to. And you, yep. you, know, you would rather have your principal answer to than me because if you're learning a skill set that somebody else doesn't have and you're using that to take advantage of them, like boy, that, that doesn't yeah. go down. That yeah, just no, no, that's, down. that's, that's very problematic. And again, yeah. you know, it, it's our job to kind of instill that sense of right or wrong, you know what I mean? And kind of set those left and right limits. Um, so, so they know how to, how to navigate, right. And they know, okay, this I'm starting to encroach upon that limit. And if I cross that line, it's going to be really bad. That, that I think is, is one of the biggest responsibilities we have as, as parents, as fathers is setting those guidelines and then enforcing them. That, that's the, the hard part too, where I think, I think a lot of times I, I know even for myself, it's like, man, I really don't want to have to drop the hammer on my five-year-old daughter. You know what I mean? Like, like just, yeah. she, she can be such a little shit sometimes, but then at the same time, she is this, the, the, the purest and kindest, yeah. sweetest little soul. But if I don't do that, then the lesson isn't going to be learned. And so I think that we need to be cognizant of, of these teachable moments and, and let that guide our decision-making instead of, instead of our emotions, you know, yeah. because my emotions can either tell me, oh man, I'm really pissed that she did this and I'm going to totally lose it on her, which isn't great. Or my emotions of, of just, you know, love and, and endearment are going to prevent me from actually following through on the consequences that need to happen for her wrong decision. So I think if we can, and this was something that I learned from my dad, it was really interesting because I've got a younger brother and I remember getting in trouble and feeling like the world was going to end. Like, oh shit, man, I have just, that's it. Signed my death warrant. You know, I got a note home from school, dead, right? Done for. Because of the, the intensity that my father would express in those moments. Being a little bit older, I saw my brother get in trouble and my dad goes in there, reams him out. You know, we had a, we kind of had a set number of, consequence of, of, of the, the amount of spankings we would get for a particular consequence, right? So you knew, okay, man, if I get another note home from school today, I'm going to get five solid smacks on the ass. It, you know, it, it wasn't going to be three or wasn't going to be, you know, 20. It was, Hey, this is the third time you've done this. And so this, okay, one smack on the ass didn't do it. You know, three didn't do it for me. It took about five for that lesson to sink in. Right. And, and, I'll leave it to each parent to decide how they, you know, enact their punishment. You know, some people don't like spankings and that sort of thing. And that's fine. That's for you. You're the parent. You know what I mean? 
I typically don't spank my kids that much, but uh, you know, there is something to be said for a nice little pat on the ass to drive a point home. Anyway, so my dad comes in, gives my brother the, the spanking that, that was expected, and I'm just sitting there like, oh shit, am I gonna catch it too? You know what I mean? Like I'm afraid to even talk. Walks out of the room like nothing even happened. Just totally, just like everything's fine. He's like, oh man, what happened in the show that we were watching? And it was such a stark contrast from when the punishment was delivered versus how he actually, you know, externally expressed that afterwards. I was like, wait, what? So you're not actually mad? He's like, no, I don't ever discipline you guys with anger. He's like, if I'm pissed about something, I'm going to take a minute, let it calm down before I actually do anything. And I thought that was really insightful um, and, and something that I've tried to kind of carry with in my own um, disciplinary action with, with my kids. Your camera's doing something pretty gnarly. What is happening here? I just lowered the, uh, the table down a little bit. Cause I've oh, been, nice. You just get settling in. Man. Yeah. yeah. So been, anyway, uh, sorry, yeah. I, I kind of rambled on for a bit there. So I, I'd be curious kind of, you know, as a, as one dad to the other, how you, how you kind of look at that. Um, because I, I do think discipline, disciplining our kids is important and how a particular parent does that is kind of up to them. But I, you know, as a father of four, you've got a lot more experience. I mean, you said your oldest is 14. 14. Yeah. 14. Yeah. So you've been in the game way longer than me. You know, I've, I've only got five years under my belt. So, so yeah, I'd love to get your insight on that. Yeah. So discipline is something, you know, actually what I'm, what I'm, what I'm doing now today with, with that edge, uh, podcast has been around for five years. Uh, it's funny. I, I've interviewed a whole host of MMA guys. Frankie Edgar was just on not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. He, he doesn't suck at fighting. No, he's pretty darn good. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Carlos Condit came on. Jim Miller came on. Uh, Charlie the Spaniard Brenneman came on. I, I, I love talking to you MMA guys. Uh, just literally like badasses, but also hearts of gold. So it's a good Well, I, to be fair, I, I, I do not include myself in the category of, of those guys. They're, those guys are super legit. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm probably the okayest MMA fighter that you most likely have never heard of. <laughs> the, the okayest yeah i don't know man i wouldn't want i wouldn't want to get in the ring with you but that's yeah. all right i'd last seven seconds so at least easily yeah. seven yeah for sure but as far as discipline goes i mean doing what i'm doing today uh 2012 my i had a six-year-old and four-year-old they're now my 14 and 12 year old and i grew up i grew up with an iron fist mm. my mom was married um three times half my childhood was spent with a father figure. The other half wasn't, but she always kind of was with the same guy, the same personality type, kind of nice, but also heavy drinker, heavy handed, uh, physical, mental abuse. All, you know, just, just a lot of things. So I grew up with a variety of disciplinary action. And I always told myself, I was like, there are certain things I am not going to do. And the whole reason I started this podcast uh, and started the blog was because I spanked my four-year-old and he hit the, he hit the ground and then I went to help him up and he shuddered with fear. Ooh. And I was like, wow, all these things I promised I wouldn't do, mm-hmm. I'm doing. And there was a whole host of other things that were going on besides just that, you know? And, and that's when I kind of like literally just had that epiphany of like, no more, you know, yeah. some, something's got to stop here. And the thing was, it was, it's not that kids don't need discipline, man. They absolutely need discipline mm-hmm. without a doubt. But I, I definitely, I like that style that your dad had, which is like, look, what I really see your dad doing well 
was he created space. Mm-hmm. He created space between this just happened and I could totally lose it and fly off the handle or I could walk away for a moment, catch, grab my composure and come back. What I can tell you with raising four boys, four different boys is every single boy needs very, very different discipline. Mm-hmm. My 14 my year old, he, it's like the birth order thing. My 14 year old has always been one of those kids where he doesn't really step out of line too much. And when he does, like literally all I have to do is I look at him and be like, really? Really? Is that, is that how you, that's how you talk to your mom? Mm-hmm. And that's all it takes. Yeah. And he'll be like, you're right. I'm sorry, mom. And my, my 12 year old, he's the one who he's your typical second born, right? He likes to, he likes to push his limits Mm -hmm. a little bit. And there have been times where I'm like, you know, where the discipline has been more swift and more intense. You know, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I try not to, I I don't put my hands on the kids, Mm -hmm. but you know, like as far as like hitting them or, but what I will do is I'll, I'll lead them to their room, you know? And then there have been times where, um, you know, they're, they're trying to get away or something like that. I'm like, Nope, Nope, here we go. Now this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. And there have been times where, you know, I have not been the best at creating space between reaction and response. There mm-hmm. have been times where, you know, I'm, I'm not proud to say it, but I've been nose to nose with my 12 year old, you know, like just, you know, we're in each other's face and, yeah. um, it's ugly. My six year old and four year old, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're pretty much pretty darn easy. You know, it's like, Hey, you did this, you did this wrong. You go on timeout. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're okay. Behave, you know, they're pretty well behaved, but, but there are those times where they're just, it's a total shit show for lack of a better <laughs> word. And, um, what I've noticed though with discipline is it's got to be consistent. I was literally just about yeah. to say consistency is, is the key. Yep. And there, there are certain things, man, that we just do not tolerate. Uh, one of them in particular is, so I, I didn't grow up with a very good father at all. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I didn't, kind of a crazy story. I didn't even meet my biological father until I was 30. And that was by accident. Oh, wow. It was, we were in a coffee shop. I, <laughs> him and my mom were married like, like way back when. I was, mm-hmm. born in, I was born in 1975. They got divorced first year. I didn't know him. He, he was gone. I got reunited with him when I was 12. And then, um, we had a brief relationship and then he was out again. And then I ran into him by accident when I was 30. So past 15 years, we've, we've had a relationship. It's been, been pretty decent, but I did have this amazing grandfather. Mm. My, my grandfather was a blue collar, 18 wheeler truck driver, just man of men type of guy. Uh But he, but he was also very affectionate. Like, and you're looking at him like, oh, this guy looks like a badass. And, but he was very affectionate, very mm-hmm. complimentary. He treated my grandmother like gold. Like, and I don't mean in a way like he kissed her rear end, but he treated her like, like, like a woman. He treated her mm-hmm. like his wife. You know, he had respect for her. He told her she was beautiful. He loved her. And one thing he didn't tolerate is you will not disrespect my wife. He told my mother that and my aunt and uncle that. And that's one, and he didn't tolerate that for me either. He's like, you will Mm -hmm. not disrespect your grandmother. And that is one hard and fast rule with my kids is like, you will not disrespect your mother. Like, so this morning, actually, (laughs) I heard, uh, and and this dude, this happens like rarely, I'm proud to say. And I think it's because it's, it's swift and it's it's consistent. Mm -hmm. So I heard, I heard my 12 year old mouth off to my wife. And I have not, I can't remember last time he did that. 
And I was actually hosting one of our mastermind calls. Like I was on a zoom call and I was like, guys, give me a minute. I'll be right back. Uh (laughs) And I went into my, and I was like, what did you, what did you say to your mom? And you could tell he was like, Oh, no, I didn't think dad was listening. Yeah. 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 And, and I looked at my wife and, and uh, she's like, he was, I was like, I didn't, let me hear from him. I was like, what Mm. did you say? And he told me, and he's like, I was like, is that the way? Is that the way we talk to your mom? Is that the way we talk to women? How do we talk? Mm. And he was like, you're right. I'm sorry. And it was a genuine sorry because I'm not going to be like, he's not going to then look at her and be like, yeah, whatever. Sorry. sorry, mom. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. And he was like, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have used those words and I shouldn't have used that tone. Mm-hmm. You're right. I'm sorry. And I was like, okay, so how can we make sure this doesn't happen again? So th- th- there's good, there's good that comes out of conversations like that. But I, yeah. yeah, going back to what we were saying, like foundational rules, this is how we operate as a family. This is how we treat each mm-hmm. other. This, these are the words we use. And if not, there's a consistent disciplinary action and interjection. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and so the nice thing for us is now that my five-year-old, she's, she's big enough and intelligent enough to kind of comprehend stuff. And, and really when she was really small, obviously, you know, discipline was, was a stern warning or whatever, right? And unless it was something really dangerous that you had to get them away from, there was never really anything physical that, it, that incurred, right? And, and the conversation that I have now with, with my daughter is, you know, we'll progress along and each step of the way say, hey, you need to stop that. And if you continue, this is what's going to happen. And then that happens. And then we progress and then we progress. And then the, the, the ultimatum is like, listen, I, we're trying to fix this. You're doing something that you know is wrong. You're still doing it. I need you to stop. What I, I don't have any other options here, right? It's like, listen, this is the last straw. And if you continue to do this, I'm going to have to bust your ass, right? And, and with her, she's like, oh man, yeah, I really don't like that. Because there's only been one time where I've actually sat her down and it's like, okay, listen, this is the, I mean, it was, it was egregious. I mean, it was probably like the fifth or sixth time before finally it was like, this is the only way apparently this is going to sink in. Right. And, and the thing is the, again, it's like, man, I'm not busting out the belt. I'm not just flailing the shit out of it. It's, you know, it's a firm, solid smack on the ass to drive the point home, you know? And again, people can feel a certain way about that. And if that works for you, great. If it doesn't, I totally respect that. Um, again, I think each kid is different and each relationship is different. Um, so I'm not, you know, for me, I don't, I don't tend to draw hard, fast rules for, for other people. Right. And, and so, you know, and then we had a conversation and she was really upset. She was like, you know, because there is, and this is the hard part where it is kind of that betrayal of trust. You know, you're like, you're my father, you love me. Why would you ever do something to harm me? Right. And, and for a lot of times that, that is the unanswered question that is, that is left in kids when you give them spankings. And I, and I fully agree that can be really detrimental, you know, and that's the conversation. We're like, sweetheart, listen, I, I don't like doing this. I don't want to do this. You've left me with no other option. If nothing else sinks in, you know, I need you to understand that this is unacceptable. And, you know, that, that seemed to really resonate with her. And so now I, I don't have to spank her. I don't have to say anything. I can just say, hey, you need to knock it off. And this is why. And now she understands that. And so that was, that was the other thing 
that I modeled after my father was like, man, it only took one solid ass whipping where then I was like, okay, don't, don't push that button anymore. You know, and again, each kid is different because I can see my son who is two, that not working at all. Like he is such a little tank that I can, you know, I, I don't know yet because I haven't done it, but I can only imagine him, you know, getting spanked and just laughing at me. Just like, what, is that the best you got? Because, I mean, he'll run full force into stuff and not even, like, bat an eye. And I'm like, holy shit, man. This kid is, is like, damn near indestructible. And so, you know, for him, we're going to have to come up with a totally different approach. You know, however, he's more of the, the verbal disappointment. You can tell just immediately, like, that, that has more of an impact. If I, if I tell him no with a stern warning, if I even, like, if I even yell at the dogs – if I raise my voice to yell at the dogs, he will just go all to pieces. So it's interesting, like his level of sensitivity, you know what I mean? Where, where my daughter, very much different, but now she's kind of shifted. And, and, and again, our approach of discipline with her is very different than it once was moving forward. So I, I think it's really interesting. And I, I, I don't know, again, you've probably studied this and seen a lot of different results. I, I think it's probably safe to say that it's rarely a one size fits all um, situation for most people yeah and it, it gets kind of confusing too right because you know it's parenting is a lot like mma fighting without training <laughs> yeah i mean literally that's that's what it feels like like mm -hmm. if you were to like you know the first time and so is marriage by the way yeah so for sure you know literally if you think about it the, the there's several there's five really important facets in life. Well, I call them the five dimensions on the podcast, which okay. one is mastering your finances as a family, right? Hardly anybody has taught personal finance growing up, uh, optimizing your health, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health, creating what we call a legendary marriage, epic connection with your kids through parenting and experiences and leadership. But those five areas, it's almost like if you think about it, think of all the prep time and training that goes into a fight. Like you're talking like months of work, hours upon hours, muscle memory, studying your opponent, knowing how they fight, what their style is, what you're gonna do, what the plan is. Like there's so much preparation that goes into it. And you wouldn't even fathom like going into a fight and being like, you know, I think I'm gonna fight tomorrow. I haven't been in the ring for like six months, but I'm gonna go fight tomorrow. Right. Or, or, yeah, like, yeah. or like me, who's never been in the cage and be like, I think I'm going to go fight tomorrow. Well, that's the biggest one that I, yeah. I'd say, cause, cause honestly the idea, and I was joking about this with one of my fighter buddies, you know, during the core team thing was like, you know, it would kind of be cool just to, just to show up, you know, nobody's training, nobody's really working out. No one's sharpening their edge and, and, and really preparing cause we can't. Man, could you imagine just like no strings attached? Like, okay, just show up with you got, you know, no expectation. Yeah. Just, you know, at this stage in my career, that would be very interesting. But in the very early days, stepping in, not knowing anything, not knowing anything about the opponent, stepping into that just totally unprepared is like the most frightening and terrifying thing that I could think of. And we do that in life, like just oh, like yeah. what you're saying. I mean, when it comes to finance, when it comes to our marriage and relationship, when it comes to rare, uh, raising our kids, 
there is no primer course on that. We're not taught that. I mean, the best we can hope for is that we have some decent model to, to follow through our own parents or grandparents or some relative that we can maybe see. But again, that's only vicarious exposure. That's not, that's not actually any kind of practicum. And yeah, we're, we're just kind of, you know, it's, a lot of it is the blind leading the blind too, where we're just all kind of fumbling our way through this. And we see random people posting their thing on Facebook and ah, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. Let's try it and see if it works. It's, it's tough out there. Yeah. And that's exactly what fathers are, right? For the most mm -hmm. part, you're trying to, um, I, I, I'm very human with my kids. Mm. I always tell my kids, I'm like, Hey man, like, like if, if I, if I do something wrong, which is pretty much like every day, right? Yep. I blow a gasket, you know, don't create space between reaction and response, say something I don't mean, do something wrong, not follow through on something that I said I was going to do. Um, and when I need to humble myself and apologize for that, I'm like, because <laughs> I remember growing up and no matter how toxic the environment was, I still looked at my parents or, and my mom or whoever guy she was with, I still looked at them like, well, they're adults, so they know everything. Mm. Yeah, they're infallible. So, they're infallible. So mm -hmm. even though this seems really odd to me, this must be the way. And this, because they're experts, like they, they're older right. than me, they're parents, like they're experts. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I, don't, I don't do that with my kids. The, I'm very human with them. I always mm -hmm. say, man, like, look, you know how you're trying to figure out how to be 14? You're trying to, you're trying to figure out how to be a seventh grader. I'm still trying to figure out how to be a 44 year old. Yeah. You know, every day, you know, you're 14 years old, three weeks and two days tomorrow, you'll be 14 year old, 14 years old, three weeks and four days. And that will mm -hmm. be the first day that I'm raising a 14 year old who's three weeks and four days. Every day is brand new. Every day is different. I've never been married before. Mom is the first one I've ever been married to. Mm -hmm. Every day that I'm with her, I'm just, I'm always on new ground. Yeah. And I, I do the best that I possibly can with what I have. And I'm going to stumble and I'm going to fall. Just like, you know, you're learning algebra for the first time and you're like, well, what in God's name is going on right now? Like, that's really what's circling my mind. Yeah. You're going to get some answers wrong, right? You're yeah. going to, you're going to solve that equation incorrectly, right? right? There's going to be a ton of red marks on that, on that piece of homework. That's, that's life. That's all of us every second of every day. I, I mean, I think that is a really fantastic perspective, not only to just have for ourselves, but then to also pass that on to our kids so that they understand that that humanization is, man, I think that's vital. And that again, a lot of that comes back to communication where we're in our house household. And this is something that I actually learned through my wife. I was a terrible communicator. I'm probably still not the best communicator, but through, through our marriage and, and through her prompting and very uncomfortable prodding and pulling of stuff and, you know, unearthing and, and getting into shit that I never want to discuss or talk about, you know what I mean? This idea of communication uh, is really important. And I think, in the same way that we need to have that communication with our wives or our partners, we need to have that, that open line with our kids too. And, and we if we can do that again, we will teach those skills that hopefully they can then apply and they don't have to wait till they're 20, 30, 40 something years old to finally click into that. I mean, I think about now how much different my life would have been if I had just been able to be a little bit more open and communicate better in, in prior relationships. 
you know, but, and sometimes you got to learn those lessons the hard way. I know for me, most things I've got to touch the stove to find out that it's hot, <laughs> you know, I'm yeah, yeah. a lot and, more hardheaded. Well, and that, and that, so I would love to go down that rabbit hole a little bit if you're cool with it. Please. Yeah. Commu- yeah. Communication. If you ask any guy, I mean, I've, I've had the pleasure and the honor. I always say this very humbly, the pleasure and the honor of standing nose to nose, toes to toes of men for the past eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to struggle with, with all these things that we all struggle with myself, still struggle with it from time to time. Just the only difference is I don't struggle with it as much. And, and now I know better. Mm-hmm. Um, but or you can recognize that you're struggling with it, totally. which is huge. Yeah. Awareness is, is huge. Mm-hmm. But what I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, communication is the number one thing that men really struggle with. And it's really because the men and women speak two different languages. I mean, it mm-hmm. really boils down to that. But here's where I can tell you of how to make communication cool with your spouse and with your kids. Because I think a lot of men um, and maybe guys who think about, you know, Savage Gentleman podcasts are like, well, I've got I've to be manly. And that's what this looks like. I've got to be stoic mm-hmm. and not talk. And I can't feel my feelings like that's unmanly. And what I can tell you is that in order for men to really grasp a concept, they have to think that there's a cool factor to it. And there really is. And one part, there is one book, man, on communication that I swear by, and it's written by an absolute badass. And that's Chris Voss. Chris okay. Voss, do you know who Chris Voss is? I've heard the name, but I'm not yeah. intimately familiar. No. Chris Voss wrote the book, Never Split the Difference. Uh, he was the chief hostage negotiator for the FBI for years. And what he, this book on Never Split the Difference, it's, I was joking with him. I just had him on the show for the second time. And I was like, Chris, I was like, this is like not a book on negotiation. This is like a master's degree in communication. And he just like laughed. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. But nobody would buy it if I called yeah. it. <laughs> right. But, but here's what I can tell you with your wife. Chris talks, there's a few things that I have taken from that book and man, I've ran with it and it's made all the difference. One is tactical empathy. And that name just sounds cool, right? Tactical empathy. Super badass. It is. Tactical empathy is a way to listen to somebody and get where they're at, understand where they're at, and not solve any problems. Because if you're communicating with your wife, one of the the number one complaint from women is Mm -hmm. he always tries to fix it. And I hate when he fixes it. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a reason why they take that as an insult. Number one, they don't feel like they're being heard. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like they're being heard. They lose connection with you. And what do men want? They want, a, they want that connection. And as a man's point of view, a man, I get it. We're, we're hearing these problems or there's venting or whatever's going on. And we're like, I know the answer to this. Like just I'm doing you a disservice by not telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. But here's, here's how, what tactical empathy looks like. Anytime you use, anytime your wife comes to you and she's sharing anything, doesn't matter if it's happy. doesn't matter if it's sad. doesn't matter if she's venting, frustrated, pissed, whatever else. I always go to three, one of three lines. And that is, it sounds like, looks like, feels like, insert whatever emotion you think is going on. So if my wife is coming to me, it's like, God bless, man. These kids are driving me crazy. Like they leaving the, they're leaving their laundry all over the ground. They're pissing all over the, the bathroom. Like, do these kids not know how to raise up a seat? Every time I turn around, there's, there's chip wrappers all over the place. I'm always cleaning shit up. And there's a part of me that wants to be like, well, put them in their room and, and tell them to pick up their stuff and, mm-hmm. and make sure that they go in the bathroom and clean that up. And nothing will disconnect her to me faster than that. Mm-hmm. So what I say is 
sounds like you're pretty frustrated and holy crap, do I get it? Because every time I feel like I look around this house, like there's a kid who's leaving something or peeing on the wall and I get it. It infuriates me. How can I best support you right now? It feels right. And throwing a question back to them like that, they'll tell you what they need. I just, need yeah. you. I'm just pissed. I need you to hear me right now. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, you know what? I don't know. Like, I think we need to sit down with the kids and have a conversation with them. All right, great. I've got some ideas. What do you think? And then bringing them into that solution. Cause a lot of times this sounds, this sounds manipulative and I don't mean it that way. So don't take it that way, but you can have your wife articulate what you were going to say anyway. But the biggest difference is her articulating it. Not mm -hmm. you. Yep. So it's, it's a way for your wife to see your way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, but again, that is, that is communicating, right? Because totally. you, you want, you feel compelled to express something. Exactly. You want to communicate this idea, but that means nothing if that person isn't able to receive it. And this exactly. whole idea of tactical empathy, it sounds like is you are, are approaching it in a way that that person can actually receive what you want to communicate. Yeah. And, 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 and it, because you're showing like, okay, I, I hear you. I acknowledge you. I understand. Yeah. Um, and, and this is something that, that, you know, my wife and I have worked with. It, it's hard sometimes. And then I think for guys a lot, we see something and the logic isn't there. Right. And, and we tend to operate a lot with, with, with logic. And it's like, this doesn't make sense that you're, whatever you're feeling logically is, is just, you know, there's some dissonance, right? There's a cognitive dissonance between what is actually going on and the way you're feeling. That doesn't matter yeah. because those feelings are still very real. And so you, you know, a lot of times we'll be dismissive of the way someone is feeling because it doesn't make sense and they're incorrect. And it's not about being correct. It's about, you know, right, wrong or whatever. This is the way that person feels and you have to acknowledge that. And then you can start to work and, and see if maybe we can find a solution or maybe, maybe there is no solution. Again, maybe that person just wants to be heard Yeah. in that moment. You're dead so on. So we have to recognize that. Yeah. You are, you are absolutely dead on. And that's the thing. Um, you, now, now when you're talking man to man, right? Like if I come to you and I'm like, Josh, crap, dude, like I need to get in better shape. Like, and I need, I want freaking veins poking out of my arms. Like you have, like, I just need to get in better shape. I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong. I don't want you to be like, sounds like you're really frustrated. And I, <laughs> what I want, what I want you to do is, is I want you to be like, Larry, what are you eating, man? Like how, yeah. mu how much are you training? Like, let me mm -hmm. sit down with you and show you how to do this. That's how guys are like, yeah. You know, or I mean, you can take that another step further, right? And a lot of this, it, 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 there's a sensitivity right on the relationship because maybe what you need is for me to tell you to stop being such a lazy piece of shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, to but call some me of, out. Right. Like some yeah. guys need that jab, right. but I've have other friends that that will completely just fall flat on its face, you know, yeah. and they need, and they, and even as a man to man, they need a little bit more empathy, but they also need a solution. And so we, again, this, this blanket statement, one size fits all, right? It's like, man, there is no simple solution. There never is a simple answer. Right. Everyone just wants that, like that one quick tip that's going to, you know what I mean? Try this one weird trick for weight loss. And it, all of that is bullshit. There is no just hard, fast rule that you can follow that, that works with everything. Right. And if we can recognize that and then we know like, okay, well, guess what? It's going to take a little bit of effort on my part. 
And I have to take a chance that I may be wrong in this decision, you know, and I might play this out the wrong way, but I'm going to use my, my intuition and my intelligence as best I can to approach this and give that person what I think is going to net the best possible result for both them and our relationship. And the hard part is, is that requires nuance that, yeah. you know, I think we are, we are moving steadily away from in, in society today, you know, and if you don't believe me, just get in the comment section of any uh, social media interaction and, and holy shit, man, that uh, talk about lack of communication. Um, it can get pretty bad. Oh yeah. Yeah. It can get bad. I mean, that's the thing though, too, is, uh, fixing problems. That's, that's our gift. You know, that's mm -hmm. not to undermine, like, you know, if I came to you and I needed advice, that's why I'm coming to you. Cause I need advice. I need you. to. Right. I'm not here just to, right. You know, so you can commiserate with me. But I think, you know, you can use that same skill set through tactical empathy to, you know, empathy is very different than sympathy. Like, Oh, I'm so sorry mm -hmm. that happened. That's actually insulting to someone. Right. Like even if somebody dies, one of the, and, and someone comes to you like, Oh, my mother died. One of the it's like one of the biggest insults in the world. I'm so sorry that happened because that person already feels terrible. And when you mm -hmm. say, I'm so sorry, it's like, wow, I feel like this is really kind of demeaning at the same time. But if you say something different, like, oh my gosh, uh, I totally get where you're at. Mm -hmm. I, I can, I understand the agony you're going through because my dad died last, mm -hmm. last summer and that was hard. Like, what can I do to best support you right now? Like that feels very different to the person. Empathy is we are here. Sympathy is I'm here and you're down here. Yeah. Sucks to suck. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing. That's the feeling our women get when we, even when we mean well and we try to solve their problem, mm -hmm. I'm here, your problem's down here. Let me show you how to fix it. Yeah. Um, this also works with the kids, especially with kids, because what it does is it gives them emotional literacy. A lot of times, you know, you've got a five-year-old and a seven, two, two-year-old, two-year-old. Okay. Guy. Little guy. Yeah. So yeah, little guy. Um, but, it's super important when, and I'm, let me preface this. I am no child expert. I've just had really smart people on the podcast. Um, but what I can tell you is kids identifying what emotion that they're feeling is super important because a lot of times kids are like, like if I, like with my 12 year old, we went through, you know, a few years where it was literally just helping him identify what was going on because he was, he would just be pissed mm -hmm. and I'm like, you know, and he would, he would lash out or he would get really upset or just have a ton of energy. Right. And I'm like, man, it looks like you're really sad right now. And he's like, no, I'm not sad. I'm mad. Okay. And, but for him to understand, because when you're at a heightened emotional state, sometimes you have no clue what you are. You're yeah, just like, you just want to come unglued, but it's like, am I sad? Am I pissed? Am I, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. But helping kids identify that. Cause I, I use that all the time, man. I feel like, I feel like you're really overwhelmed right now mm -hmm. with schoolwork and that probably has you frustrated. So I'm using overwhelmed, frustrated. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's dead on. And I'm angry because I've got all this to do. So like the fact that they understand that, that they aren't articulate that is really important. Yeah. And the same thing too is when you're communicating with kids, it's way more powerful to be asking the questions instead of telling them. So asking, yeah. but there's also a way to ask questions and not interrogate because mm -hmm. when your kid, when you, when your kid feels, and don't get me wrong, there are times when you probably need to, sometimes you gotta, kid, <laughs> right. But there are other times, like maybe your kid 
is going through like horrendous stress right now. My seventh grader is learning algebra. He wants mm. to like literally take his Chromebook and throw it out the window at this point. And instead of me being like, dude, like, wh- like if I came to him, I'm like, why are you so angry, man? You, you have seventh grade problems for crying out loud. Like math is no big deal. Like sit down. At the end a, of the world. Yeah. yeah suck it a, out. A plus B equals C. Just do it. Mm-hmm. But if I sit down with him and be like, man, seems like you're pretty frustrated and overwhelmed. Yeah, I am. I was like, dude, I get it. I'm a word person. I am not a numbers person. I get it. I hated algebra. It took me three times to get through college algebra. I get your pain, brother. Um, what is the smallest thing that you can do right now to, that you think would advance your homework right now? Like how many problems do you have? How many can you get done in the next 10 minutes that would get, at least give you the feeling of momentum that, Hey, I'm mm-hmm. getting something done. And when you break it down like that, or you ask a question like that, instead of being like, why is it so hard for you? Or like, you know, why are you getting so upset about it? Like we want to, yep. but, but just giving them questions to prompt them to think just a bit differently is gold to them. And Cause, and then the problem doesn't seem that big. Like he's like, well, in 10 minutes, I, I think I could get through two. Awesome. Let's cool. try to get now you're halfway done. Awesome. Right. You know, or whatever, right. You're, yeah. you're, you're a third of the way or who knows? Yeah. I mean, yeah. at that point, like who cares? They articulated it. Mm-hmm. They understand why they're upset. They're less overwhelmed because now they have a small step to go do. Yeah. So it, you're giving them different thoughts besides mm-hmm. like, besides like, Oh my God, I just want to take my Chromebook and throw it out the window. Cause I hate it. Yeah. Well, and you're demonstrating two things there, right? You're showing the empathy, right? But then you're also offering, you know, a solution without dictating or, or saying, just do this. Yeah. Right. It's like, they're actually kind of coming to that on their own and they're going to buy into that much better. Uh, then, then you just say, well, dude, just do a couple of the problems and just get it done. Quit complaining. Like that, that helps no one. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think the other thing that is important too, in that process is not only getting them to, and this, this we found has worked really well with our oldest, with our daughter, not only getting them to recognize what emotions they are feeling, but also why they are feeling that and working through that process. Cause it's one thing to say, I'm mad. Well, okay. What are you angry about? Mm-hmm. And even, you know, first recognizing, is that the appropriate response? Is that the correct emotion that you, are you identifying it correctly? Cause for, for most of my life, I only had one emotion and it was pretty much just pure unadulterated rage. Um, that was it. Like, like ev- everything was anger. There was no sadness. There was no, you know, remorse or, or anything. It was, it was all anger. It was either I'm totally fine. Everything's cool. Or I am fucking raging out on fire and destroying things. Sometimes that still happens more than I'd care to admit, but now I, I can, I can go Just down bring a few, it to the ring. Right, right. Well, <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of, a lot of my, what, what drew me to, to fighting and it kept me in it for so long. It was that physical outlet. You know what I mean? And that really did, in some ways, help to turn the volume down on a lot of things. And it's like, yeah, you know, it sucks being truck stuck in traffic, but you know, it's a hell of a lot better than being stuck in a in a freaking triangle choke, getting elbowed in the fucking face. So all things considered, yeah, I guess I'll sit in here and just listen to the tunes and, and make my way through, right? And that and that perspective helps, right? But with with our kids, and I think even with ourselves, going through the process of figuring out why you know, we're feeling that emotion is really, um, I think an important exercise because then we can, we can stop and think like, is this really valid? You know what I mean? Am I, am I blowing this out of proportion? You know, if I'm frustrated, 
Or if I'm angry, why am I angry? Or I'm frustrated because this thing isn't working the way I want it to. Okay, why, why am I frustrated? It's like, well, it really, it's, it's from a lack of control, right? I can't control this situation and therefore I'm mad about it. And if I can go and work through that exercise in my mind, then it's yeah. like, okay, so I'm, so I'm mad about something that's completely out of my hands. You know what I mean? What the fuck good is that, right? Well, like that, talk about an exercise of futility. Like how much energy am I wasting being pissed off about this thing that, that I can't do anything about? I can't change the circumstance. And so now I can decide to continue to be mad about it and spin my wheels and be unproductive. Or I can elect to shift my focus elsewhere and, you know, persevere through this or, or you know, just endure it until – I get to the other side. Right. And I think that's really valuable both for our kids, but also I think for ourselves as, as men and as individuals is to kind of try and get to the crux of where that negative feeling, I, I don't even know that it's negative, right? It's just a feeling, you know, instead of attributing a positive or negative connotation to our emotion, it's like, well, it's there, whether I want it to be or not. Now, what do I do with it? I think that's, that's an important exercise. I mean, you nailed it. Uh, do you know who Gary John Bishop is? I do not. Gary John Bishop wrote the book on fuck yourself. <laughs> have <laughs> nice. you heard of that? I yeah. have heard of that. What an uh, amazing title. Yeah, man. he's great, man. He, uh, he also wrote the book, Stop Doing That Shit, which is a sequel to- Solid. That's yeah, pretty yeah. solid advice. But he, he is brilliant. And he's from Scotland, so he's got this really cool Scottish accent. Oh, um, man. He reads his own. I'll listen book. to anything that guy has to say. Oh, I don't care. I don't care what he's talking about. Like, right. well, all right, man. Sean Connery's telling me to do this thing. <laughs> better, better freaking do it. Yeah, man. He's he is solid, and he's been on my show three times. And there's one quote, man, that I will always remember from him, and that is, "Emotions are neither bad nor nor good. They just are." Mm. It's exactly what you just said. Exactly what you just said. He's like, emotions are neither bad nor good. They just are. It depends on what it is you are going to do with them. And one of the things that we cannot, cannot do is judge them, but, mm. but then decide how you're going to respond with them. So like, for instance, if you're men are, we're geniuses at self-sabotage. Oh man. He's so because, good. Because we will, be pissed and lose our patience with our kids, right? Because they're acting out. And then we lose patience with ourselves because we're just judging the hell out of ourselves. We're like, well, crap, I must be a terrible father if I'm losing my patience. Like I'm I, imposter syndrome all over the place. Yeah. Like I must really suck at this. I mean, for sure. I'm just not, you know, a human that, that experiences thing like everyone else and makes mistake. That can't be the case. Right. The only logical explanation is I'm a piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's really what's going on. And that's, that's exactly what he says. And especially his whole book, stop doing that shit. It's about self-sabotage. And it's about mm. that very thing of like how to not do that. So like, for instance, if you're, if you have some sort of emotion, like let's just say perfect example, right? You're a fighter. You, you have to be like a tough freaking dude. Right. And you're, you're in the ring. I mean, what you do is a, is a tough ass sport, toughest sport. So the minute that you, a guy like you feels sadness or overwhelm or, or complete and total stressed out, you're like, well, shit, man, I must not be all that tough if I'm, <laughs> so it's, it's really taking that pause of like, no, wait a second. I'm, I'm, I'm a fighter, but I'm human, mm -hmm. right? I'm human. So yeah, I'm overwhelmed. Okay. I'm overwhelmed. Why am I overwhelmed? And 
what can I do with it? How might I be less overwhelmed if I do X, Y, and Z? So it's really mm-hmm. one powerful quote that I heard, and it's, it's something that's really resonated with me for years, is the quality of our life depends on the quality of the questions that we ask ourselves. The quality, mm-hmm. of, the quality of our life also depends on how we speak to ourselves when no one else is listening. Mm-hmm. And now here's, here's what drives me crazy. I am not of a, I am, I am not a fan of like, oh, the world is sunshine and rainbows and, and, and you're positive and you're special and you're all, mm-hmm. I hate that. Instead, what I try to do, here's a great example. Easter was a few weeks ago and this has been, you know, an Easter in quarantine. I've known my wife for 24 years. We've been married for 16 years. We've always done the same thing as long as I've known her, even when I was dating her for seven years before we got married. And that's, we head over to her extended family's house where there's 70 people, 30 kids. It's like this huge celebration. You know, the adults are having fun. The kids are having fun. And my kids look forward to it every year. And this was the first year we're like, we woke up on Easter and we just had like this empty feeling. And we're like, ah. And we were asking ourselves self-sabotaging poor questions. So like, why does Easter got to be this way? Why can't we hang out with our family? Why can't our kids enjoy like Easter? And like, we must be terrible parents because why didn't we have a backup plan? Like we could have planned something. Why didn't we? And in the, in the, the whole day started dark. Yeah. And then my wife and I looked at each other and we're like, we're asking ourselves really poor questions and we're saying things that are not helping the situation. So what are some better questions? So we can't, we literally sat there and we're like, okay, we're in a situation that the world has never been in. We're in a situation our family has never been in. So with the situation they're in, we're in, how might we connect in a way that we've never connected before and have an Easter that we've never had before and connect on an even higher level than we're used to. Mm -hmm. And what I can tell you is your brain is a supercomputer, right? It will give you the answer to whatever question you ask it. So if you're asking yourself questions like, why can't I? Why can't, why can't I be a better father? Why can't I make more money? Why can't I connect better with my wife? Those answers will creep in and, and tell you why you're not a good husband, mm-hmm. why you can't communicate with your wife, why you can't have a day that you want. But if you ask questions like, how might I? Then the, the, the solutions come. So like we, when we start asking ourselves questions like that, we're like, you know what? We could have an Easter egg hunt in our front yard. And we did that. And like, let's do something we've never done. What's something we've never done? We've never played a flag football game as a family where, like, where my wife was even like the flags and my wife and all of us. Uh-huh. We, we played an hour and a half of family flag football, five, five males, one female. And we were laughing our asses off. Then we came in and my boys, we, we built these like wooden cars, like little hammer nails and screwdrivers. Mm-hmm. Like we built these wooden cars. We've never done that. And then we... um we played the game, would you rather over dinner? And that was hysterical. Like mm-hmm. we, cause we looked up, would you rather funny questions? Yeah. And we had so much laughter and so much conversation. And then we ended off the, the night with a really cool family movie. And my wife and I looked at each other at the, at the end of the night when we got in bed and we're like, holy crap. Like the day started one way and looked like it was going to end completely the way it started, but it ended the complete opposite way than what we thought. And it all had to do with the questions that we were asking ourselves. Which is kind of like the actual Easter that took place. Yeah. If you kind of think about it. 
And we were started fun- off pretty, it started off pretty shitty, yeah. you know, for most of the people. And then like, wow, did that just really turn around for us? Huh? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, no, that, that's super cool. And it, I mean, man, perspective is a hell of a thing, right? Where again, we, we do have that, that ability to shift the way we look at every single situation and everything could be, you know, we, it can be gloom and doom and the worst thing ever, or we can take it as an opportunity to do something different and, and turn it into a positive. Yeah. That's always, you know, a lot, a lot of times easier said than done, but if we know that that's a possibility and we can recognize that our self-talk plays a huge factor in that, you know, I, I think we can be, a lot more productive. We, we, we can unfuck ourselves. We can stop doing that shit. You know what I mean? And you know, I, I think for, for a lot of guys, we can see, we can see this in fitness. And I, as you were talking, I, I know a lot of guys who are trying to get in shape will do the same thing, right? Where they have an expectation and they want, they, they decide they're going to work out. Right. And they, they're like, man, yeah, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to start doing pushups. Right. Cause I remember back when I was in high school, I could do 50 pushups. No problem. They get down on the floor and they do 10 before their arms are about to fall off. And in that moment, it's very easy, again, to solve that problem. Man, why can't I do, why can't I even do 10 push-ups? Like, oh, you know, and your brain's going to say, well, because you're a piece of shit and you're, you suck and you're weak and you're frail and you're old and you're out of shape. And, you know, it can, it can spin all these things. Or you can look at it and it's like, man, okay, I, 10 push-ups. I thought I could do better. How might I? get to the point where I can do 50 again, or, you know, at least maybe, maybe, maybe that's too big of a, a bite to, to chew. Maybe it's, how can I, how might I get myself to the point where I can do more than 10? And I think yeah. if we looked at our problems in that light, instead of the other, the other viewpoint where it's just like, well, I guess I'm just the worst at whatever this thing is, you know, and just beat ourselves to death and wallow in our own misery, which we all know, accomplishes nothing you know if we can reframe that question in the way we talk to ourselves i think we can put ourselves on a much more productive path without a doubt man it's it's no different than um well why can't i beat this guy right like you're standing like in the mm-hmm. ring with him why can't i beat this guy well you can't beat him because blah blah blah, blah. well how can yeah, i beat yeah. this guy how can i beat this how can i how can i get in there and, and find this guy's weaknesses what's my game plan how do how can i pick him apart with the style Mm -hmm. that he fights with. Like when you're asking yourself questions like that, you know, those answers, man, they start. Yeah. Well, here's, you know, speaking of fighting, I mean, I have literally been in that situation. It wasn't until after the fact and working through that I, that I found a a more viable solution. But um, when, when my daughter was born, you know, I, my wife took off work for a while. And so I was training for this fight. It was actually a, a title fight that I was defending on a, on a regional show down in Oklahoma. And so leading up to this fight, everything's going well. You know, we had a few hiccups along the way, a couple of things that, that were kind of difficult. You know, we ended up moving out of our apartment into a house that we were renting. And so during my training camp, we had to move everything. Um, I also had to renovate the house to make it livable. So I'm, I'm working on that while getting my training in while taking care of a newborn with my wife, but she was doing most of that. So at least that wasn't on my plate. So I'm going through and like, yeah, this kind of sucks, but you know what? I can get through. I'll I'll be fine. You know, it's a minor hiccup. I can overcome this. What's up dudes. We've got some guys hanging out. 
This is quarantine, man. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, this is the life. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> that is Lawson, on, who's who's, and that's Colton right there. Colton, Lawson, and Colton. We interrupt your regularly scheduled right. Savage Evan program to take some time for the little guys that we were just been rambling on about to say hi, and you know, it's life is chaos, man. Oh yes, and then there's um, there's my 14 year old behind me. 14, so. what's up? Yeah. Um. And, and so again, in, in chaos, it's like, okay, we can, we can manage a few minor inconveniences, right? But at a certain point, they start to become insurmountable, right? And so that's what I found leading up to this fight where, okay, a few hiccups here or there. And then I didn't, it didn't even occur to me, but my wife was going back to work the week of the fight. And then I was going to be left with our first child um, of three months old. I think not even three months, six weeks old, six weeks old. First time ever taking care of her all by myself is the week of the fight, cutting weight, trying to peak all, all these things. And now I've got this baby who just is losing her mind because mom's not there. So I make it through that week, make it to the fight, have like the hardest weight cut I've ever had, like freaking eight hours in the sauna to make weight freaking miserable. And then I get into the fight and I, you might be muted on your end. I'm not sure. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was it, it, just an absolute nightmare, right? Again, the kind of Murphy's Law, everything that could go wrong did. But I make weight. You know, I get out there, and I'm ready for the fight. And, and even just warming up, man, I felt so flat. And I was like, well, this is probably going to be a long night. And I, I'm trying to get my mind right. I'm trying to get hyped up, and nothing I can do seems to get it done. So I go out there, and – Basically, it is just five rounds of me getting my ass handed to me. And, you know, the passive intentions of like, yeah, okay, man, this round I'm going to rally. And like, okay, body, do the thing. And the body's like, yeah, dude, we're not – that's not happening. And yeah, so – We've it, clocked out. We're, we're we've we've checked out, man. And I'm, and I'm trying to, to hype myself up. And I'm trying to say, you know, as I'm, as I'm lying there and I'm getting, you know, punched and elbowed in the face – you know, bleeding all over the mat. I'm like, all right, man, you got to do this for your wife. You got to do this for your kid. And your body's like, nope, not happening. And I'm too dumb to just quit and give up. Right. So I just endure 25 minutes of just getting beat on. And then I, you know, after action report, I'm like, what in the hell was that all about? Like, that is probably one of the worst performances I've ever strung together. Like, I mean, just, just basically just laid down like a dead dog. You know what I mean? And I could sit there and continue to kick myself while I was down. But then I had a conversation with my coach of talking of, you know, it's like, Hey man, you're telling me stuff. And you know, we we're, we're trying to figure out and get to the heart of how can we make this improvement? And it, and it occurred to me, I was like, you know, you're, you're telling me to get up or to, to reverse him or sweep him or do these things. And in that moment, that was just way too tall of a task. I realized that what I needed to focus on was not because the whole time I'm thinking, okay, how can I rally? How can I win this fight? I'm down, I'm down two rounds, right? Going into third round. Okay. If I, if I win the next three rounds, I can win this fight. Well, shit, I lost that round again. Okay. Well, I've got two left. All right. Now I got to put this guy away. Okay. This is the last round, right? And, I, and, I, and I'm just trying to figure out how can I, how can I win the fight? And I realized what I needed to be focused on was how can I win that small moment? right? If I'm on the, the ground and I'm stuck in his half guard and he's punching me, how, what can I do to improve that 
that circumstance, not look at the context of the whole fight, but in that moment, right? And it's like, oh man, I need to come up on that leg, right? And then from there, I can work to a single. And then from there, maybe I can work to get up to my feet. And so I was looking at way too big of a macro scale. And even the communication with me and my coach, he was trying to get me to bite off way more than I can chew. But if I could have just, I, I think, in hindsight and, and optimistically, I think if I could have just had one real rally point, one, like you were talking about, one gain of momentum, then that could have led to another gain of momentum and then perhaps another and another. And at least then I may have had a fighting chance. You know, maybe I could have turned, maybe I still lost the fight, but man, at least it was a, a better performance. At least I didn't look like I, it was my first day stepping into the cage, which is what it amounted to. Right. And so that I think again, perspective, right. Recognizing, okay, well, this is where I'm at. What can I do to get where I want to be? Not how can I just instantly get there? What step can I take in this moment? I think is really important. Yeah, man. Questions are, are absolutely huge. <laughs> absolutely huge. Well, man, this is uh this has been fun. I'm glad. Yeah, we no, I'm sure. Well, yeah. you know, with, with the kids running in and in the homeschooling and I know you got a lot of other stuff going on and honestly, man, we, I, I could, I could chat about this kind of stuff all day. So we may have to do this again. For um, sure. In, in fact, yeah, I, I'd love to come and, and chat on yours at some point. Consider it um, done. Yeah. And so for our folks listening here, um, where, where can they find more about what you're doing and what you've got going on? Yeah. So you can find everything we're doing. At, at, it's gooddadproject.com. That's our website. The, the podcast is called the Dad Edge Podcast. Okay. Uh, we, it's, it's five years old, actually, uh, this month. Man, we've had an arsenal of just amazing guests on. We'd love to have you on. Um, and we've had, we've had Jocko come on. We've, we've had Leif Babin. We, we've had a a slew of MMA guys, which is super cool. Navy SEALs. Uh, but it's been, it's been such an education. Um, I, I always say this, like, I am not the expert. I'm just, I'm just the host that gets to talk to smarter people than me, mm -hmm. which is I, fun. And trust me. I know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, gooddadproject.com is where you can find everything. Podcast is dad edge. We talk everything dad related, man related, really, really obviously dialed in on, on fathers and husbands. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really our niche five dimensions that we really, that that's in line with what we do is like I said, mastering your finances, optimizing your health, creating a legendary marriage, epic connection with your kids and leadership. That's, that's yeah. our, that's our wheelhouse. No, that's, that's super solid, man. And, and if I, if I could add one more to that, yeah, yeah. I, I would say, uh, learn to ask better questions has been, I, I think, I think kind of the theme that we've been talking about, where it's like everything that we've been saying really kind of boils down to learning to ask better questions, both of ourselves and, and, and to others around us. And it, oh, yeah. and I think we can do that. We'll start to get some better answers or recognize that there, you know, that there are just more better questions that exist totally out agree. there. So anyway, Larry, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's been, been a blast and uh, for everyone listening. Tune in next time and we'll talk about more savage and or gentleman stuff. Sounds Peace. good, man. Peace.